Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But as we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, forgives our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Let us then confess our sins unto God our Father. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us, forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Almighty God, in his mercy, has given his only Son to die for you and for his sake forgives you all of your sins. As a called and ordained servant of the word, I therefore forgive you your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Comfort, 
protect and defend us, gracious Lord. of the faith by the testimony of Moses and Elijah. In the voice that came from the bright cloud, you wonderfully foreshadowed our adoption by grace. Mercifully make us co-heirs with the King of his glory and bring us to the fullness of our inheritance in heaven through the same Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Scripture readings for this transfiguration of our Lord, the Old Testament lesson from the 34th chapter of Deuteronomy. And then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all of the land, Gilead as far as Dan and Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah, as far as the western sea, the Negev and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, 
This is the land of which I swore to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. And so Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was a hundred and twenty years old when he died. His eye was undimmed, his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab for thirty days. And then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. And so the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. lesson from the third chapter of Hebrews. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
stand in respect of Christ, of whom the Holy Gospel is read. According to St. Luke, the ninth chapter. Now, about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. His clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent. And they told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, o Confess with me our holy Christian faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord, our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text this morning on this Transfiguration Sunday is the account, St. Luke's account of the Transfiguration. We'll pay particular attention to these verses Jesus took with him, Peter and John and James, and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothes became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure. This is our text, dear friends in Jesus Christ. Some time ago at a reception honoring the British musician Sir Robert Mayer on the occasion of his 100th birthday, elderly British socialite Lady Cooper, Lady Diana Cooper, fell into conversation with a friendly woman who seemed to know her rather well. Lady Cooper's failing eyesight prevented her from recognizing her fellow guest until she appeared a bit more closely and looked a bit more closely at the, at the radiant and magnificent diamonds the guest was wearing. And then she realized she had been talking with the Queen, Queen Elizabeth. Overcome with embarrassment, Lady Diana Cooper curtsied and stammered, Ma'am, ma'am I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't recognize you without your crown. The Queen's response was kind. She said, it was so much Sir Robert's occasion, I decided to leave my crown at home. A kind gesture by the Queen, but also a good illustration of how, with the obvious and the the evident and apparent accessories of majesty missing, it can be easy to forget the one who is majestic, in this case of herself or of himself, whether or not he or she wears the crown. From before his birth, Jesus had been foretold by prophet and proclaimed by angel to be the son of the living God, incarnate. But veiled in common flesh and and in humble form and appearance as a man without the evident and apparent trappings of his divine majesty, without the obvious crown, The world too easily forgets that in the carpenter's son of Nazareth, all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. As Jesus traversed Palestinian and Judean plains and valleys without jeweled scepter and heaven's crown, even though God the Father had spoken for him, even though God the Holy Spirit had borne witness to him at River Jordan's edge, proclaiming him to be the chosen one, the Son of God. Even so, the appearance of God concealed, God veiled, still raised constant doubts within the minds of those who heard of him, who heard him, who saw him. Indeed, to this day, man's mind, delusional in his sin, in which he's born. Man's mind raises doubts constantly about the God who comes to us veiled. And I don't just mean the minds of outsiders. To be sure, the outsiders, no doubt, most then doubted Jesus' divine nature, his divine presence. Most still do. In fact, verses before our text, Luke records that Jesus posed to his disciples that ever pertinent, ever ever sound question to be asked, ever relevant question, who do people say that I am? And some say he's one like John the Baptist. 
Others say he's like Elijah or Jeremiah. So many to this day say he's still just another prophet. But few confess that he's the son of the living God. Peter did. Sort of. You see, even Peter, an insider, not an outsider, but an insider, even Peter couldn't comprehend the the paradox of God veiled. It's not that Peter wasn't enabled, not by flesh and blood, but by the will of God, by the Father above. It's not that he wasn't enabled to, to see behind the veil. He was. To recognize that the man with whom he walked And he talked and he ate and at times he would sail across an evening sea in Galilee with whom he so often certainly must have shared many a quiet night around a crackling fire. It's not that he wasn't enabled enabled by faith to see that this one was the eternal Son of God. Indeed, you've been enabled, enabled to see behind the very same veil. But Peter just couldn't see the eternal God descending into the plains and into the low-lying valleys of life where things are very sinfully dirty and they're dusty. You know it well. And they're dark, sinfully dark. Peter figured God belonged up on mountaintops. And so you recall right after confessing Jesus to be the Christ, what does Peter do? He scolds the eternal God. He scolds him for Jesus suggesting that now it's time for him to go on to Jerusalem where where he's going to be handed over to the chief priests and the elders and be delivered up to be crucified. And Peter said to him, don't talk that way. And immediately after that, in Luke's account here, he notes that just before our text, that Christ would then further angle expectations of his disciples, not mountain word, but valley word. When immediately before today's text, immediately before the text today, he tells his disciples that not only does he, Jesus, have a cross to go and embrace, a cross far graver and higher than any of theirs, a bitter cross in store for him, but also that all of those who would be his disciples daily are going to have crosses in life to face. These aren't soaring and inspiring sayings, the kind that fill your sails of faith. They aren't soaring, they're not inspiring sayings, but they're unadorned, unjeweled sayings foretelling of unmajestic and humiliating roads that lay ahead of them, that lie ahead of us. These sayings, whether heard by them then or by us now are sayings almost enough to cause one to forget that it was then it still is for us today the divine one down here who dwells in our midst but then Luke writes as our text here our gospel reading begins today now about eight days after these sayings That he had just shared with them. Jesus took Peter and John and James. And you could say he takes us too through their eyes. Through their report. Takes us up and went up on the mountain. 
Why? Because it was time to pull back the veil for just a moment. There on the mountain, Peter, John, James, they slept, it appears, as Jesus prayed. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? Heavy with sleep, they slept as he prayed. And as he prayed, his true, his unveiled colors began to show and shine. The appearance, Luke writes, of his face became different. Literally in the Greek, it became other. It became different, altered. And his cloak became dazzling white and he was metamorphosized. The Greek text says in in another gospel account. And roused from their slumber, Peter and James and John saw, beheld with their own eyes, light of light, God of God, beaming, radiant, light penetrating his clothes, beaming with unborrowed light as we often sing in that transfiguration hymn. And before their waking eyes, they saw the veil of heaven pulled even farther back. Moses and Elijah Great prophets of old appeared before them. How they knew these were Moses and Elijah, it's hard to say. But Peter evidently knew when he made his tent request for the three shelters, he knew who they were. And if these disciples, if they were clear enough of mind, perhaps in that instant, beholding at all the three dazed but dazzled disciples thought of there with Moses and Elijah before them, all the Old Testament theophanies, the God manifestations, the God appearances that were recorded in Holy Writ when God appeared to Moses in a blazing bush, burning brightly yet not consumed like what they were seeing there in front of them. Or when God appeared to Moses on another mountaintop. When his glory passed by, Moses was hidden in the crevice, much like what they were beholding right there in front of them. Or when Elijah found himself in the presence of God, who was not in the earthquake or the fire of the wind, but was in the the voice, the still small voice, and now all of it there happening to them. And they not only saw a little bit of heaven, they heard a little of heaven's conversation too. Ironic it is that heaven's conversation was fixed on what Jesus was about to accomplish on earth. Luke reports that Moses and Elijah and Jesus were speaking. You could even say we're in the the process of speaking. Because you see the Greek verb indicates, its tense indicates that the conversation likely didn't just pick up. When Jesus started shining and Moses and Elijah appeared, it seems that it was a conversation that had already been taking place. And that the three disciples were were eavesdropping on a conversation in progress. Imagine angels, saints, patriarchs, prophets, buzzing about what their incarnate Lord was soon to accomplish on earth, at Jerusalem. And what was he to accomplish? His exodus. That's literally what the text says. The Holy Spirit's chosen Greek word there to describe what Jesus was about to accomplish and fulfill in the Greek, his exodus. Some versions translate it his departure. Some are a bit blunter. Perhaps read into the word a little bit and translate it his death. Both are good. Both are right. But perhaps simply his exodus. 
For in that word is enveloped the greatest deliverance God's people had ever known, at least to date. A salvation, remember, effected by the bloody death of unspotted lamb. Well, that's exactly what this Jesus, shining, brilliant, bright, mountain-topping Jesus, this Lamb of God, was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. It's what he was headed to fulfill, his exodus. It must have been fantastic, right? And can you blame Peter for wanting to remain there on the mountain's glory? Master, it's good for us to be here, right here. Right here, let's stay here in this moment. I'll put up three tents. The scripture says Peter didn't know what he was saying. See, he spoke the natural human instinct. He just verbalized what naturally, and, and you could say even sinfully, we, we long to, to hold on to. Let's retain the glory, Lord. It's good for us to be right here. It's good for you, Lord, to be right here and to stay right here. Let's not go down. Let's stay right here. It's good for you to be here, Lord, not down there, but here. But Peter didn't know what he was saying. Because Jesus' glory doesn't save. And besides, Peter, do you really want God's glory? Well, then here it is. And Luke writes, as he was saying, Peter was saying these things, a cloud came and enveloped them, overshadowed them. That's the Holy Spirit's language to describe the presence of, of the, the eternal and almighty God. The, the, the cloud overshadowed and shined on the tabernacle with the presence of God. Mary was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And they were afraid, the text says as they entered this cloud of God's glory, as sinful men like you and me, like Peter, James, John, as we should be in the presence of the glory of God, like Isaiah was last week in the, in the Old Testament reading. And suddenly Luke writes, a, a voice came from the cloud, This is my Son, my Chosen One, listen to Him. All of it, the sun-like radiance beaming from him, Moses, Elijah, the cloud, the voice of the very Father himself, and then nothing. And then nothing. But Jesus alone, veiled. Veiled and yet still the same Jesus. For it was this Jesus, veiled though he may have been, veiled though he had to be. It was this Jesus that descended that mountain. He wouldn't remain there. But he descended that mountain so that he in veiled form could shine brightly from another mountain, Calvary. Veiled though he may have been, it was this same Jesus whose holy veil of his flesh was torn and whose soul was livid with grief in order that you, whoever you are, wherever you've been, in order that you would be able to enter behind the veil and into the holiest place. For though, your sin, for though your sin was like scarlet, by Him it has been made brighter and whiter than snow. 
Veiled though he may still be, it's the same Jesus, majesty hidden, that has descended into the plains and into the dark valleys of our life. It's the same Jesus, is it not? The same one. Veiled though he be, that reaches out and that, that touches you so often in this holy supper, the sacrament of his supper, and says to you what he once said to Peter on Transfiguration's mountain, reaching out and touching him, the glory having passed, he says, arise, And do not be afraid. Don't be afraid of what you may have done, wrong as it was, or what you may have left undone, or what you even may have said, not knowing what you said, what you were saying. For isn't it the same Jesus who veiled in Scripture and in preached word, though he may be, Isn't it the same Christ that speaks his pardon to you? And so as the Father said, listen to him. Listen to him. Not the accusing voices that may well rend your mind and shake your conscience and your confidence. Listen not even to your own voice if it should suggest such a thing. Listen to him, lest you mock him in the word he died to speak to you. Throughout Christendom, many suffer from Peter's impetuous instinct to head for the mountains. Let's be where the glory is. It would be great to think it, were, it was only the thin mountain air up there that caused Peter to think that, but it wasn't. It was, it was human instinct to want to be and remain where the glory is, to downplay his cross, Jesus' cross, and, and his shame and suffering. To downplay the crosses that we are, we're bound to bear as his disciples in life. And so many a worship forum and, and praise ensemble will direct the attention of many who hear to to mountaintops of glory. And it will be said by, by, by many, if you live as you should live as a Christian, if you be all you can be as a Christian, you'll stay, you'll stay tented in that mountaintop moment. You won't have to come down. But that's not real life. Think about it a moment. Don't we rather need God down here? Where we are, where we live life, where we know life is lived from the confession of our sins this morning onward. Isn't it all about God veiled? Descending from on high to meet us where we are in the valleys and on the plains of life as we listen to him. Doesn't his word dress and bandage real life down here? Doesn't it keep the feeble from failing? And from falling and refresh the weary on your way? Isn't isn't communion with him for the lowly and for the weak like us? That we might leave here with his strength to go on and press on? If you think that you, you best find God for you in all of his forgiving grace. If you think you best find God for you on the heights of glory, beware. For if you climb that mountain... In search of him up there, you just might find, indeed you will find, that he's not up there. He's down here. 
He's down here with us. He's down here breaking His forgiving light into every dark plain and valley of life. One day we'll be there. We'll dwell with Moses and Elijah and on the heights of His unveiled glory. You could even say that today is our Mount Nebo because we get a, a glimpse viewing the transfiguration. We get a glimpse of, of what's been promised to us. But for now, He joins us here on the plain. Take it from Peter, who having seen such glory would travel down that mount and into some of the darkest and most regret-filled valleys that he'd ever known. But who, because Jesus was down there for him, would later in life be enabled to say this, We were eyewitnesses of His majesty, For he received honor and glory when such a voice came to him and we heard his voice and and we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word, the the word of Moses, the word of of Elijah. We have that word confirmed. That's to say that he, he was who the prophets foretold he was going to be and he did what they hoped in. What they said he was going to do, Peter says, which you do well to heed which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place, in your darkest place. On today's Transfiguration Mount, we can't remain. Already Wednesday, we find ourselves on the plain of repentance in the Valley of the Ashes, Ash Wednesday. But know this, the same God veiled, though he may be, will be right there for us too. A blessed epiphany to you all. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Rise and sing with me our post-sermon hymn, hymn number 414.
Your servants Moses and Elijah acknowledged your Son as the fulfillment of all the law demands and all the prophets promised. Through your sacred scriptures may we behold your Son, Jesus Christ, as the one whose suffering and death gives life to the whole world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. O glorious Lord Jesus Christ, washed as we were in your baptismal waters, your love has cleansed us of all our sin, claimed us as your own, and declares us not guilty when even our hearts would condemn us. Grant us grace to believe your word, that in your presence we may, with the disciples of old, say, It's good, Lord, to be here. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. O Holy Spirit, as you enabled the church throughout the ages to proclaim the crucified Christ to be her greatest glory, so may your pastors in our day preach and teach and tirelessly testify to the glory of Christ and him crucified. Move your people to hear your word attentively and open their hearts to believe it and their mouths to gratefully confess it. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Glory be to you, O Father, for you rule over the nations of the world. Bless our nation and all who lead us. Bless our courts and all who judge us. Bless all who protect us from evil of every sort at home and abroad. Grant success to honest businesses, security to the employed, open doors of opportunity for the unemployed. Bless all whom you have joined together as husband and wife. Especially today do we pray for Aubrey and Phyllis Vickers who today celebrate 23 years of marriage. We gratefully thank you for those years that they have celebrated life with each other. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Glory be to you, O Christ Jesus. You came to a sinful and sick world to give hope for our bodies as well as for our souls. As you once healed the sick and the suffering or gave them the strength they daily needed to endure, so also be with those among us who are sick and suffering in our day. Especially do we pray for Dick Motch and Ed Hefner and Crystal Sinzik recovering from surgery, Sonia Heidemann, who has been hospitalized now is in rehabilitation. Grant them all and others for whom we pray your healing power, the power of your grace by which through enduring their sufferings they glorify you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Glory be to you, O God, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, who consoles us with his word. 
Uplift all who mourn, especially today do we pray for the family of Vera Miller, which is saddened by her recent death. We pray for Aubrey Vickers and his family, who mourns the sudden death of an infant child. We pray for the family of Reverend Walter Shedler Sr., who at the age of 101 you've received unto yourself in heaven. Be with all who grieve the absence of loved ones and enable us all to see beyond the brevity of earth's short hours to the eternal day of heaven's glory. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. O Lord Jesus Christ, even as you once led your disciples from the mountaintop of your glory into the world where they would glory only in your cross, so also lead us from this place through all of our plains and valleys that we too would glory only in your cross, by which the world has been crucified to us and we to the world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Be gracious, O Lamb of God, pure and holy, be gracious unto us, and abide with us now throughout our Lenten journey. For to you, O Christ, with the Father and the Holy Spirit, be all glory, now and forever. Hear us, Heavenly Father, as together we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Almighty and merciful God, we have again worshipped in your presence and received both forgiveness for our many sins and the assurance of your love in Jesus Christ. We thank you for this undeserved grace and ask you to keep us in faith until, with all your saints, we inherit the fullness of our eternal salvation. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Receive now the benediction of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.